Welcome to Preaching and Preachers, a weekly podcast devoted to those who preach and to the task of preaching itself. I'm your host, Jason Allen, president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Today, I want to welcome Dr. Dave Harvey to the podcast. Dr. Harvey serves as president of the Great Commission Collective, and he's also an accomplished author who recently published his newest work, The Plurality Principle, How to Build and Maintain a Thriving Church Leadership Team. Dr. Harvey, welcome to Preaching and Preachers. Hey, Dr. Allen. I'm honored to be invited. Thank you. Yeah, look, I've been looking forward to this conversation uh, for some time. And as I mentioned to you briefly before we began talking, uh, you and I have uh, several things in common, one of which is we, we over the past few years, uh, both of us wrote a book on the call to ministry. Uh, mine was uh, Discerning Your Call to Ministry with Moody, and then you wrote the book, I believe it was called, entitled Am I Called? And was that with Crossway, or who was that with? That's right. It was with Crossway. Yeah. And so anyway, I appreciate your attentiveness uh, to that topic and to uh, your work to it as well. So today we're talking about Again, the pastor and his leadership team, and really just building conversation from your your recent book, the the plurality principle. And I look forward to getting into that. Um, before we do, perhaps you can give us a word of update on your ministry and and your family. Sure. Uh, Kim and I have been married for thirty eight years. We have uh, we have four kids and and six grandkids, and we live in uh, Estero, Florida, which is just south of Fort Myers in Southwest Florida. And uh, I serve as the president of Great Commission Collective. That's a, that's a ministry that's kind of uh, dedicated to church planting and strengthening leaders that operates in North America and uh, a, a couple dozen countries around the world. And so this book, The Plurality Principle, How to Build and Maintain a Thriving Church Leadership Team, uh, give us a little bit of the story. What what inspired you to write it? What need are you hoping to meet? What what problem are you hoping to solve? Sure. Yeah. I, you know, after spending more than oh, it's been at least at least thirty years just just serving pastors, elders, churches because I've been serving both as a pastor and then on the network side for that period of time. This has been one of the most significant and consistent weaknesses I encounter in churches. And, and it's not that the concept of plurality is under dispute. It's the practice of plurality. So, so there's just a, seems to be a, a lack of clarity on why leadership is shared and, and how healthy pluralities really can impact the church and, and make ministry more joyful. So that, that was one of the things that I was encountering, Dr. Allen. I, I think there's another one as well, and that is that, uh, that uh, actually a couple other ones. One is that as I looked at the fallen celebrity pastors, <laughs> one of the common denominators among them was they established a kind of pseudo plurality, you know, where there's this select group of external peers that exist for care and accountability rather than local church elders. And, you know, we can, we can talk more about that in a minute, but that was very much in my mind. And probably the last one is that, is that while I saw a lot of good books on eldership, I mean, I benefited from Strzok's book and the Nine Marks guys and, you know, Thabiti and others that wrote books on, on eldership. There are not a lot of books that specifically address the practice of team ministry. So it's kind of an under-addressed topic. And, uh, and I, I, I saw an opportunity to make a contribution there. 
So when I picked up this book and, uh, you know, looking at the cover, looking at the topic, generally aware of your ministry, some of, some of your other writings, um, and, I, and I thought about, you know, kind of some of the practical realities of local church ministry and, and some of the more current, more recent kind of problems. And and um, and thinking what this book uh, and 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 applying what you're what you've written, what it may serve to to stave off or or to keep at bay, and, and the two big categories of concern are one, you know, the ministerial you know flame out, the person who has uh, the, the minister who has a lack of accountability in his life, uh, a lack of uh, of shared ministry in his life, uh, a minister who is kind of on an island and may not realize the unhealth that has developed underneath that. And then he falls into some sort of sin, you know, sexual sin or what have you. And, and then in a very spectacular way, often a public way, um, there's this flame out that has occurred. And either he limps out of ministry or he, he actually is um, you know, put out of ministry due to some, due to some you know, scandalous act. The other is um, in some ways similar, in some ways dissimilar, and, and that's not the flame out, but more the, the ministerial burnout. And sometimes, as you know, burnout can lead to flame out. But the burnout is, is the guy who, again, is something of an island, uh, wearing too many hats, not enough co-laborers with him. A sense of, uh, of loneliness has set in, sometimes a sense of despair because of all that is on him. And then you overlay these perennial realities with, uh, with COVID and the challenges it has brought. And then guys just saying, man, just kind of walking away from ministry or drifting away from ministry. And sometimes that's not even a conscious decision. It's just you wake up one day and you're no longer engaged in gospel ministry. And so whether it's the, you know, the flame out or the burnout, um, both of those often are, are caused by uh, or at least, uh, at least fostered from a, a, a neglect of, of accountability, a neglect of, of a shared ministry model, a neglect of 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 other brothers really being able to speak into your life and um and often it leads to bad places. So, you know, with me articulating that, I, I'm curious how much of, of those two dynamics you see. Of course, some of these things you touch on in the book, but but help us to know kind of the lay of the land in this regard. And as you do, be reminded that uh that our listeners are primary local church ministers, pastors, staff members, elders, seminary students. And so hopefully we're not just reflecting in the abstract, but, but talking in a way that's actually speaking to, to those listening to this podcast. Yeah, I think the practice of plurality assists guys in, in a number of ways to help them to have more sustainable ministry, because that's, that's the common theme between both of those groups is that, is that they, they, they desire sustainable ministry. They get into ministry for that reason, but ultimately it's not, it's not realized for, for different reasons. And so, you know, we, we want to see pastors and elders in sustainable ministries and, and I'm convinced healthy pluralities are an essential part of that, of that puzzle because of the way that they, they ensure that there is a group of people that are committed, a group of elders that are committed to applying the very things that they're looking to export to the church that are applying truth with one another, that are supplying care for one another, praying for one another, becoming a team together. And then yes, additionally providing accountability to one another. I also think, Dr. Allen, that it 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 helps it helps the church to see how power is mapped 
Um, and it, and and in doing so, it, it protects against abuse in the church, which ends up becoming a major point of burnout for church members and church leaders and and elders as well, because uh, w- when you have that kind of accountability and it's based in the local church and it's grounded in the eldership, then guys can have a more authentic and and. Uh, established experience of accountability and accountability with with teeth that I think helps them when they go into times of difficulty and crisis, helps them by having people to pray for them, helps them have people that are counseling them and 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 people that will hold them accountable in the best sense of the word. So I think these are the reasons why guys can be spinning out in different quarters of the church. And I think plurality is, is a key to helping to helping guys with longevity in ministry. When you think about plurality, you know, I, I'm reminded of the fact that there's enormous uh, power within those, uh, th- those other members of the leadership team beyond, you know, the point pastor or the, or the first amongst equals, as you refer to it, and we'll get to in a moment. And that is this. I mean, I've seen it so many times that within that broader group, there really is the uh, the ability, the the power to significantly influence the one who carries the primary leadership burden, for good or for ill. And um, if if a minister is in the context where that the broader plurality, excuse me, um, for whatever reason aren't supportive, they're piling on, they're not lifting up. I mean, that can kind of hasten the dejection and the discouragement, and intensified, and perhaps you know hasten the departure from ministry. But I know many other friends in ministry who that plurality of elders has sustained them. It's been life-giving. It's been protective of them. And they wouldn't trade that plurality for anything. And so I guess with those two dynamics at, at play, um, not everyone wants a plurality around them. Some pastors like the idea of being solo, and they may not see the true upside benefits, they only interpret it as perhaps increased and unwanted accountability, perhaps, you know, a sharing of the pulpit, perhaps other people to run decisions by. And, and so I guess for our listeners, make the case that, that even um, if our listeners, some of them don't, don't see the upside biblically and practically, make the case for them to why they need to be open. Indeed, they need to even desire a plurality of leadership around them. Sure, that's a great question, and I, I think we, you know, we start from from scripture and from theology and work our way to the the way that it benefits the church. So when we use the word plurality, we're simply describing the overwhelming New Testament evidence that local church leadership was was shared. It was shared by elders, and and so you know what you have out of the gate is this. A profound and prominent example in scripture where the leadership is shared. So I think we're, you know, we want to be encouraging guys to move toward that because by doing so, they're moving toward the wisdom of God. They're moving toward the, the biblical pattern. But I do think that, that there, are, there are practical benefits to being in ministry with, with a plurality of leadership. I mean, you know, the more the more obvious ones would include just the way it spreads the workload among other leaders and elders, beginning with, you know, uh, appointing and filling certain key roles like the the senior pastor role or the lead pastor role or whatever we're calling that first among equals guys. Um, 
I, I think one of the things I mentioned earlier is that one of the things that a plurality should be doing is is basically creating a model to apply truth, the very truth that they want to see exported to the church, and that it's happening out of the reality of what they are experiencing together. So in that sense, the plurality, Dr. Allen, becomes a kind of microcosm of the church, and, uh, and they're experiencing together you know, what they want to be leading the church into. So whether that's care, accountability, mission, um, you know, whatever that might be, because you, you know, you've been alluding to it throughout the, throughout the interview that ministry is, is serious business. You know, the, the care of God's people is serious business. There's a, there's an assault of the enemy. There's an attack on elders and pastors that the stakes are high. So, so the man who has a team, you know, can experience a, a kind of fortification. Uh, it feels like he can stand because he gets support and prayer and encouragement and development. And the man who thinks that he doesn't need that is somebody who doesn't know himself well enough to know what it takes to uh, to, to to sustain in ministry and, and remain in ministry. You know, I have a, a dear friend who uh, is pastoring a church, has been pastoring a church for, for 15 years. And it's a church I know well and, and care for deeply. And he's been faithful, done a great job, and the church has been supportive. So there's nothing structurally broken. There's nothing, you know, n- nothing you look at and you see dysfunction. Um, but, but after 15 years, he's being rewarded with a significant sabbatical this summer to be gone for several months with his family. And he's delighted. The church is delighted. I'm delighted for both of them. Um, but as I was talking with him and the church a little bit about how even to, uh, to conceptualize the sabbatical, one of the things I said to them was I said, uh, you want the pastor to be gone long enough, not only so it's renewing for him and his family, but, but for the church to get a clearer sense of like all he's doing. And, you know, if a pastor's gone for a week or two, you can just kind of hope things take care of themselves. If a pastor's gone for two or three months, like everything he does has to be strategically reassigned and accounted for so that the place doesn't fall mm-hmm. apart over those two or three months. And sometimes it takes that, that significant separation, oftentimes within the context of a sabbatical, for even the church to see how overwhelming, um, how, how intense the pastoral responsibility is. And, uh, and perhaps to even open their eyes to uh, the wisdom of more of a plurality of leadership, of shared responsibility. Yeah, and I, I think a good eldership would, would seize the opportunity of, of his sabbatical to, to take time to educate the church and connect dots for the church and to help them to, to well, first to be praying for him, but it, even in the context of that prayer to share why the prayer or why the sabbatical was necessary. And then also all the all the ways that responsibilities are being reassigned to be able to make room for him to go to 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 leave and to get the the time away. That can be really instructive in and of itself. So, and time is flying by here, but I do want to get on to a couple other topics here while we're while we're together for this interview. Um, talk about counterfeit pluralities. You used to discuss this in length in uh, I believe chapter four of your book. Give us a sense as to what you mean by that. Well, one of the ones that we've been alluding to in the conversation, I, I, I might call it an, an invisible plurality, and, and that's where elders can have the assumption or a gifted leader can have the assumption that the more gifted he is, the less necessary the plurality is. 
because I think I think there are there are men and, and, and women out there. I mean, not talking about eldership, but I mean, just, I'm just talking about people of many talents, leaders of many talents that have basically walked in life a, down a different road. You know, along the way, they've discovered that they they grasp things more quickly than other people do. They can diagnose problems more accurately, maybe retain information more easily and express ideas in a way that kind of galvanize people or win over a room. And, and, and their experience has, has trained them to assume that when given the space to lead and, and, and the freedom to kind of control the narrative, they can, they can typically accomplish their goals. And, and therefore, teams are seen as an obstacle to progress. And, uh, and, and the plurality basically comes unnecessary in their mind or, or necessary, it's just less necessary for, for them. And so what happens is the plurality becomes invisible in that kind of church or it fades to the background. Uh, you know, it's, it's referenced, be, but it's, it's only a name. It's not really functional. And that's one of the reasons why guys that are, are truly very gifted can oftentimes have difficulty keeping leaders because they don't really make room for genuine plurality. And, and one of the things I do in the book, Dr. Allen, is I, I make the case that actually that guy needs the plurality the most because he's probably more vulnerable to a, to a tumble uh, and, and to a fall without, without a plurality. So one of the ones that I, I talk about at length is this, this invisible plurality. Yeah, and that, and that you very helpfully deal with that, and I appreciate your your handling of it. Um, perhaps let's try to pull the conversation together with you offering some words of counsel um, for those wanting to move towards a plurality of leadership. I uh, would we'll, we'll love your counsel for them. Sure. Yeah. So I, I I actually wrote the book to be a part of that process to give them something to discuss. Uh, this Crossways releasing a study guide today. And, and in the book, there are, there's a tool called the plurality tune-up to help walk a team through the process of evaluating where they are and, and where they could go. I'd say if somebody doesn't have, if somebody's part of a group there where there's no plurality, though, I'd, I'd say first, it would be really beneficial to, to teach the church on the role and the importance of eldership. This, this is really common with church planters. You know, they, they just get rolling and, uh, and, and pretty soon they've got people coming and they haven't put a lot of thought into eldership and they certainly haven't put a lot of thought into plurality. And so sometimes elders can just get appointed, but they don't really operate together. So, so teach the church on the role and the importance of eldership, but make it clear that plurality is an important part of the success of the elders for the future. So, so that that's, you know, those two go together. It's not just eldership, but it's, it's, it's a plurality of elders. So I, I would mention one other thing, and that is if they're in a position where there aren't any elders that are readily available or prepared, then I think there, there might be ways to create a kind of provisional plurality until they can walk in the real thing. Maybe that's a leadership team where, where he makes it clear, the church planter or the senior pastor, lead pastor, makes it clear that their role is temporary, they're not elders, but he still wants to begin to walk in this pattern 
he still wants to benefit from their counsel and their advice and their friendship. And, and so it's a, it's a provisional plurality. And one of the things that does is that it creates a way to observe men who may ultimately fill some of the eldership roles outside of actually having to offer them the role up front. Well, and, and right, and it's, it, part of it is how we think about form versus function. And, and many churches and many young pastors, I know, uh, will we'll kind of rush towards the form of elders. But um, you know, the, the main thing, the most important thing is to first do the hard work of discipling men in your church so you have those who are capable uh, through biblical qualifications of, of actually being able to function as elders and engage in the work of the ministry and, um, and then build them up. And you can tidy up the form of some of these things after you actually have qualified men in your church to serve as elders. Yeah, your experience is probably the same, same as mine. And, and that is that a, a lot of guys just don't prioritize this because they don't feel like they have the time. And, 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 you know, so we want to be saying to them, Hey, there's nothing more important you can do over the next year than, than find a way to train elders. And, and, and by the way, appointing elders is going to free up big blocks of, of time. So, so think about it as, as an investment into the future of the church and into the future of your, of your role. And, and Dr. Allen, you know this because you're, you're giving your life to this in part. This is a vision worth fighting for. This is, this is one that I think is going to make a difference in the life of, of, of elders and pastors and in the durability of their ministry. Yes. Well, Dave, thank you so much for joining me on Preaching and Preachers. I, I do want to commend your new book, The Plurality Principle, How to Build and Maintain a Thriving Church Leadership Team recently released uh, with Crossway Publishers. Dave, thank you for joining me on Preaching and Preachers. Thank you for having me, Dr. Allen. Thank you for being with us today and for listening to Preaching and Preachers. For more information, go to my website, jasonkallen.com. That's jasonkallen.com.